evening we're going to be in Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43, would you turn there with me in your Bibles? We know the end of the story here for for Joseph and his brothers, and so we recognize that this whole story is based in grace. And um, we know that God's going to bring about good in the life of Joseph. He already has by moving him to a position of power and saving the nations, specifically the nation of Israel, through this difficult famine. And so we see God's grace. But in this passage, chapter 43, we also see God's grace in God leading Jacob's sons back to Egypt to reunite with Simon. And so what you're going to see throughout this passage is God's grace on these sons. That they, they see God's grace in their father allowing them to take Benjamin. Remember, that was the only way that they could come back to Egypt and stand before Joseph was if they brought their younger brother Benjamin. And you'll see God's grace as they own up to the fact that they had all the money back in their sacks that they had given to to um, Joseph's servant. And yet God deals graciously with them. And then God's grace is seen in Joseph's special treatment of them, that He prepares a meal for them and uh, treats them with grace. And, and I think this really ought to be the foundation by which these men are um, responding to God in service. So that when we see God's grace, when they saw God's grace, our response ought to be one of service. And that's really the key to to proper Christian service, proper service as a believer. That is to, to see and know God's grace. What is God's grace? What does it do for us? And And why should we respond that way? So let me read this passage, Genesis chapter 43. Verse 1. This is the Word of God. Now the famine was severe in the land, so it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him... We will not go down, for the man said to us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? Well, they said, The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me, and we will rise and go, that we may live and not die, we as well as you and your little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags 
and carry down to the man as a present a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum, and myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was, it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise. Return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your older brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money in their hand and Benjamin, uh, and, ben- and they took Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house and slay slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for his slaves with our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in in full. So we have brought it back in our hand. We've also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Be at ease. Do not be afraid. Your God... And the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out to them. And then the men brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet. And he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. And then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down in homage. And as he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he controlled himself and said, Serve the meal. So they served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. He took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and drank freely with them. God prepares His people for service, and He does this by showing them His grace. If we're going to be used by God for His service, we must see His grace and respond to Him rightly. And there's four ways that Joseph's brothers respond rightly here in this passage. Number one, they respond, they respond responsibly. They are responsible. Before they didn't take, they didn't, uh, they didn't take. Uh, not the word I'm thinking of here. They didn't take not credit, but responsibility for the loss of Joseph. Remember when they 
brought the, the coat of many colors back, all torn up and, and bloody. They didn't take responsibility for his being missing. But here they do take responsibility for their own actions. And this is a huge step of maturity for them. Verses 1-15. through 15. They're willing to take on the blame for the catastrophe that may befall them. That is, that they still had... First of all, they, they take on responsibility before their father, and then they take on responsibility before uh, Joseph Stewart. That they, they're willing to take the blame for this money that ended up in their sacks. In verse 1, God puts pressure on Jacob to make a choice. You see, now the famine was severe in the land. Jacob had been dragging his feet, hadn't he? The famine had been going on for some time now. And Simeon had been imprisoned for a period of time. We're not exactly sure um, how long Simeon had been in prison, but what we do know is that the famine has been going on now for two years. Look at chapter 45. Chapter 45, verse 6. So let me just give, fill you in on a little bit of what happens after the passage we're reading. After they have this big meal where Benjamin gets five times as much, they leave. They go from this place full of grain. Their bags full of grain. And remember, the silver cup is found in Benjamin's. So then they're called back before Joseph right away. So this probably doesn't take but, but a few days from our events here in 43. So chapter 45, and this is Joseph speaking to the brothers, verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years. So this is after Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and he tells them how long the famine has been going on and how much longer it's going to go on. Five more years, right? So it's been two years. We know that the famine's been going on that long. Now, what we don't know is when the brothers came the first time. Did they come right when the famine started? Right after the seven years of plenty? Or did they have enough stored up to take care of themselves for six months or one year or one and a half years? We don't know that for certain. But we do get an indication of how long Simeon was imprisoned, how long between the two times they were in Egypt, and we see that at the end of verse 10. We'll just look at the whole verse. For if we had not delayed, Judah says to Jacob, surely by now we could have returned twice. Now, Judah could have been just using some hyperbole to say, you know, we could have gone a million times by now if you would have just made a choice. But but it seems that because he uses the number two or twice, that he has a certain period of time in mind. And so, so in order for us to think about that, we need to understand how far apart the two places are. That is, Jacob's home and Egypt. Jacob is in Beersheba, we're going to find out, because when the brothers actually go back down or go back north to get Jacob and bring him back, they go to that place. And Beersheba, between Beersheba and Egypt, uh, is about 200 miles, over 200 miles, probably taking about 10 to 15 days to travel there. And so if you consider um, consider that, that, that one round trip would take about a, half, about a whole month. And so at the very least, Simeon is in prison. If Judah is being accurate here, at the very least it's about two and a half months because they had already come back from Egypt and they said, we could have gone there and back twice by now. Okay, so that's two and a half months. And, and, um, and yet they hadn't even left yet. But God puts the pressure on 
Jacob, doesn't he? By making the, the famine severe. It's really a, um, a sign of what God had been doing, obviously, but Jacob now has to make a choice. And what's amazing about Jacob here is how, un, how surprisingly unconcerned he is about his son Simeon. As if he's already gone. I'm, I'm, I'm done with him. But I can't lose my favorite son remaining, Benjamin. And we know why Jacob is unconcerned. I mean, why it seems that way. It's not that he's totally unconcerned. It's just that he's less concerned about Simeon than he is about his son, Benjamin. And we know why that is, because which wife did Jacob love the most? Rachel, right? And which son did he love the most? He loved Joseph, but then Joseph was supposedly killed. And now Rachel's dead. Joseph supposedly is dead. Jacob says, I can't bear I cannot bear to live without him. Look at chapter 42, verse 4. See this, um, see this uh, love for his son Benjamin. Chapter 42, verse 4. Unashamed love for him. Favoritism, really. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. What's the implication there? I don't really care what happens to you. That's the implication, right? But he was concerned about his youngest son, Benjamin. Look at verse 36 of chapter 42. Verse 36. Their father said, Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. That is, he is in prison. And you would now take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Verse 38. But Jacob said, My son, Benjamin, shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead. And he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Jacob's unashamed love for his youngest son, Benjamin. Look over to chapter 44 because Judah recounts his father's love for Benjamin. Chapter 44, verse 25. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food, but we said we can't go down. If our younger brother is with us, then we will go, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls me, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. So, Jacob is not hiding the fact that he loves Benjamin, that he loves him more than his other sons. And so that's why he is seemingly unconcerned about Simeon. It's not that he doesn't care about Simeon, it's just that he cares a lot less right, about Simeon than he does about Benjamin. But, and this is a testament to Jacob's faith, chapter 43, verses 2-7, through he does end up sending Benjamin. He sends him with a little bit of reluctance. Now, you would think by this time, uh, if you think about it from the brother's perspective, what are they trying to do here? Okay, They're trying to survive. It's getting difficult. They're losing all... I mean, they're, they're, they're using up all their food. And they each have their own families to care for. And so they're trying to survive. And so the temptation for them would be they know what they need to take back to Joseph, right? 
They need Benjamin. And by this time, what they should have thought, you would think, is to just kidnap Benjamin. We're just going to take him. What's Dad going to do to us? We'll be long gone by the time he finds out. We'll just take him and we'll bring him back. I mean, we're not going to hurt him or anything, but but this shows their maturity. That they are not just concerned for themselves and their own immediate families, their wife, their wives and children, but but also for their father now. This is a huge step of maturity for their father and for their younger brother. Okay, 20 years ago, this was not the case, was it? They weren't thinking about Joseph. They weren't thinking about Jacob when they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. They were thinking about themselves. And so instead of taking matters into their own hands, Apart from their father's blessing, they patiently wait for their father to be softened to the idea. That is, they patiently wait for God to do the work in him, to to allow him to send Benjamin. That's, in fact, what he does. Now, Judah has to convince him, verses 3 through 5. He emphasizes that we can't go back. He says two times, he won't accept us back if we don't have our brother. So we can't go. If you tell us to go, we can't go. Because he solemnly warned us, verse 3. And Judah amazingly takes responsibility. Here's where we see these men starting to take responsibility for their own actions. They're being prepared for God's servants. They take responsibility now for Benjamin. Verses 8-10. through Judah says, listen, I will give myself as a pledge to you, Father. If Benjamin is not brought back, you can do to me whatever you please. This is a stronger pledge than what Reuben had made. Remember what Reuben promised? Okay, you can have my sons. Do to them whatever you please. Okay, they, they can be killed if I do not bring Benjamin back. But here, Judah's saying, it's not, I'm not giving away someone else. I'm giving away myself. If I'm to be killed as a result of not bringing Benjamin back, then so be it. Ju- Judah here is willing to lay down his life for his brother Benjamin. And this will become more clear. This will become clearer in the next few chapters because Benjamin's going to be caught red handed with the Prime Minister's silver cup in his satchel. And instead of discarding Benjamin and saying, you know what, well, we got our grain, we got our money back, so we're just going to leave. Instead of doing that, Judah offers himself as a substitution for Benjamin. Turn over to chapter 44, verse 31. Chapter 44. Here Judah stands before Joseph in private and says, Listen, I will give myself in exchange for my brother's freedom. Verse 31. When he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? Those who are going to be used in God's service must be responsible. And this is what we see in, particularly in Judah's life. 
Jacob sends them away with the blessing in verses 11 through 15 of chapter 43. He entrusts his favorite and youngest son to the older sons. And in verses 11 through 15, he says, You can take the boy, but take some gifts with you. Take, do not cross the Egyptian prime minister. Don't, don't cross him. And so you need to take plenty of money and plenty of goods as gifts. This is what you would do to a superior in those days. You would bring, come offering gifts, right? Do you remember when the wise men came to meet the Lord as a boy? What did they come bringing? came bearing gifts, right? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this is what you do to a superior. And so they come back to Joseph. They want to make sure that they're in good standing with him. And what we should see here in these verses particularly is Jacob's trust in God. Now, when we read through this one time, it seems like, you know, it just sounds like some flowery speech that he's making. Notice verse 14. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you, your older, your other brother, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob, if we think about Jacob and his relationship to Simeon, we think he's Jacob is cold and unfeeling. He doesn't care about his own flesh and blood. And so, when he says something like this, I mean, does this really carry any weight? May God Almighty grant you compassion. And I would suggest to you that it does because this is a huge step of faith for Jacob. He's offering up his greatest possession. And basically he's saying, I entrust him and you to God and these circumstances so that whatever happens, happens. That's what he says at the end. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. It's like Queen Esther, right? If I perish, I perish. And if you think about it, Judah was far from this several years earlier. In chapter 38, we saw how Judah's oldest son married Tamar. Remember, and God killed him. His name was Ur because he was evil in God's sight. And then the responsibility to provide children for this oldest son went to the second son, Onan. Onan was also evil in the sight of the Lord and God killed him, leaving only one son left to Judah. And that was Shelah. Shelah was next in line. But Judah told Tamar, Tamar, this widow of his oldest son, he said, you need to go back to your father's house and live with him until my son gets older. Really, that was just an excuse. Because we read in the text, chapter 38, verse 11, it wasn't that he was concerned about Tamar or that his son wasn't old enough. It was, for he thought, it says, I am afraid that he too may die like his brother's. In whom was Judah trusting here? Was he trusting in God to provide an offspring for Ur? No. He's trusting in his own wisdom. I can't allow my youngest son to go. He might get killed by the Lord too. So I'm going to stay here and protect him. We'll get an offspring, but, but not God's way. And so Judah's not trusting God here. Could you see Judah at that time saying what Jacob says here in verse 14? Shelah, your two brothers have died before you, and I'm fearful that you might die too, but I trust God here. Go and be married to Tamar 
And may God have compassion on you so that you will live and provide an offspring for earth. I can't see Judah saying that. And what I'm trying to show you is that Jacob is making a huge uh, act of faith here. And so while we, he may be reluctant, he withheld sending Benjamin to retrieve Simeon. He finally did it. He did trust God in the end. And that's a good thing. And so that really brings up a question. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. What is it that God loves more? Does He love enthusiasm that ends up in disobedience? Initial enthusiasm. I am excited to do what You want me to do, God. And then the person never does it. Or is God more pleased with a person who is initially reluctant and then finally obeys. Which one do you think God loves more? Jesus gives us the answer here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. He teaches us this in the form of a parable. But what do you think? He says to His disciples, A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Jesus is actually talking to the chief um, Jewish religious leaders here. And He's saying, listen, which, which one actually did the will of His Father? Was it the one who said He would and didn't or the one who said He wouldn't and did? And of course they say it was the one who said He wouldn't and did. And that's how I think Jacob is viewed here in Genesis chapter 43. He's reluctant at first, but he finally obeys. He finally trusts God. And so what God's looking for in the end is obedience. He's not looking for lots of promises on our part. He's not looking for lots of enthusiasm on our part alone. He's looking for final obedience. And this is where Jacob comes. A place of final obedience. Although he was reluctant, he he finally entrusted his youngest son to God. So they are responsible. But they're also honest. Verses 16-25. through When God is preparing His people for service, He shows them His grace so that they can respond in service. And they respond with responsibility, verses 1-15. through And then honesty, verses 16-25. through When the brothers arrive, Joseph sees them and asks his servant or commands his servant to prepare a meal for them. And at this time, his brothers are fearing Joseph's wrath. I mean, they think it's a trap. I mean, think of the tens of thousands of people who are coming from all over the globe because the famine has spread, verse 1, throughout the whole land. So you have tens of thousands of people, and when the brothers find out that Joseph's called them into his house, they think it's a trap. They're going, that he's just going to do something to us. 
Right? Look at verse 18. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money. And so on. Verse 19, so they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him. And uh, then verse 24, then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave them their donkey's fodder. The brothers were fearful that Joseph would overpower them. They would be in a place of vulnerability sitting at a table to eat. And so that Joseph's men would come and overpower them, take their money, take all their goods, and take their donkeys as well. But despite that fear, they, in a mature way, own up to the discovered money that they had from the last trip. They own up to it in verses 19-22. through 22. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, O oh my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food and it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, each, money, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full. So we have brought it back in our hand. Listen, we're not trying to hide anything here. We think this was a mistake. We're not sure what happened, but we just want to let you know that we didn't steal this. They own up to this discovered money. And God shows them His grace in verse 23 by assuring them of His favor. Verse 23, the steward said to them, Be at ease. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your Father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Uh, I had your money. God here is working through Joseph's servant who either has become a believer himself or at least he's speaking on behalf of Joseph. Joseph already told him what was going on. And this should have been a sign to the brothers. This This should be an encouragement to us. That God cares for us. That God's leading here. Okay, we went... We became responsible for our brother and our own goods and now we're coming back and taking responsibility, being honest in a situation that could be volatile, hostile. We may be better off being dishonest here, but but we're going to be honest and trust God here. And God reassures them of His grace by saying, listen, I know about the money, the steward says, right? I know about it. You know why? Because I had the money. The phrase there has the idea of, of I collected the money. Or, as the New Living Translation says, I collected the money all right. Okay, when the steward first had the bags, you know, he had all the money, he says, I received the money, but then I gave it back to you. I returned it to you. And so in verses 24 and 25, Joseph's brothers are treated with favor in Joseph's house. So they are responsible, they are honest, and here in verses 26 through 33, they are full of faith. They're full of faith. Joseph hints to them of God's grace in verses 26 through 30 by asking about their father. We already got a hint from Joseph's servant that God was on their side. Okay, God has done this for you. God has done this thing for you. But now they're going to get a few more hints that God is leading from Joseph himself. First, Joseph asks about their father. And then, verse 29, he asks about Benjamin. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. 
A strange thing to say for an Egyptian leader, isn't it? But the brothers are not yet clued into what's going on. They don't understand who this person is. They just know that, that there are some hints of God's grace here, that God's hand is in all this. And that's what they need to see. They need to see that God's hand is leading them, that God's hand is in this, that He is watching over them. Joseph, in verse 30, can't control his emotions when he sees Benjamin there. And then Joseph's brothers are treated as foreigners in verses 31 and 32. And I think the reason for this, they they separate where they eat. That is, the, the Egyptians don't eat with the Hebrews. If Joseph had eaten with them, he would have given them an indication that he wasn't really a true Egyptian. And he didn't want to get rid of his disguise at this time because there are a few more things that he wants to do to test them. Make sure that they are serious about their uh, about their following of God, about their love for other people. And uh, surprisingly to the brothers, verse 33, they're seated in birth order. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. You have 11 brothers there. What are the chances, right, that our assigned seats would be in birth order when this guy doesn't know us from Adam? And so they stand there in astonishment. What is going on? How could this possibly happen? And this would be something that they would likely recall later, realizing that Joseph was behind all this, that Joseph was the one uh, being used by God to orchestrate these details. So they are responsible, they are honest, and they are full of faith despite the potential opposition that may come to them. And in the fourth way in which God prepares His people for service is by making them united and grateful. Verse 34, united and grateful. He took portions to them from His own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, so they feasted and drank, drank freely with him. They're united. They're not turning on one of their own for the sake of their own personal gain. Here's a clear opportunity for them to turn on their brother because I mean, why shower him with gifts, right? What's going on here? Joseph is so unashamedly showing his favor for this younger brother. And what has he done? Why would he shower him with gifts? And that's why he ends up with the silver cup in his back too, by the way. We'll see that next week. That It's not that Joseph is trying to bless Benjamin so much as he's trying to put him in a place of potential condemnation by his brothers. To make him the object of jealousy among his brothers. To see if they're going to stand up stand up on his behalf or they're going to turn on him like they did to Joseph. And why? Remember we talked about this last week. The reason why is because God is preparing them for greater service. And they're going to lead the nations. And if they're going to survive this famine and be able to lead the nations, then they need to be prepared of God. They need to have right hearts. And Joseph wants to to check this before he puts them into that place of service. And that's 
exactly what's going on here. The ten older brothers are the ones who've gone through this extreme trial over the last few years. Benjamin's been under the roof and the care of his own father. They're the ones who've had the false accusations against them. They're the ones who have had to experience imprisonment, not Benjamin. They are the ones who have to feel the pressure and the wrath of their father. Why are they not treated with greater favor than Benjamin? Benjamin comes on the scene. He doesn't even do anything but show up. And he's treated with five times as much favor. Where is the fairness in that? Joseph is giving his brothers another opportunity to pass the test. You know, the natural thing to do for the brothers would be to covet, to envy their brother. You realize there is a difference between envy and covetousness. To covet means to want something that someone else has. Okay, I see that they have that. I want it. Envy is to not want them to have something good that they do have. Okay, this person uh, receives all this favor. I don't want them to receive favor. I want them to, to be treated badly. And this really, when we see other people treated with favor, this really gives us a window into our heart. How do we respond when other people receive grace? Jonathan and Josie each lost a tooth in the last couple of weeks. And one of them asked me for $10 for losing that tooth. Normally they get $1. And I said, sure, I'll do that. Jokingly. And uh, one of their siblings piped in, but Dad... If you do that, then you'll have to give us $10 too. All along, you had given us one. And if you go and give that one $10, then you have to give us $10 too. And that was an opportunity for me to explain to them grace. That grace is not entitled, right? We're not entitled to receive grace. I never wrote a contract that said you would get this amount of money for losing a tooth. If I did, that wouldn't be grace. But, but it was grace for me to give them any amount of money. And in that sense, it's not earned. And so whether I give one person $1 and one person $10 is not for them to determine. But here's something that gives us a window into our hearts. How do we, res- we respond when someone else receives grace? Can you think of anyone who hated grace more than the Pharisees? I mean, grace is offensive to people who don't think they need it. Why? Because they think they've already earned favor before God. And so when they see grace come on another person, they respond by sneering. They respond with Envy. I don't want them to receive God's grace. And when they do that, when we do that, we show our heart that we don't understand what grace is. The way to avoid all that is to focus on God's grace. See what God is doing. What should the brothers have been thankful for? By the way, 
they do respond with grace. Even though Benjamin received five times as much as they, they respond in grace. They don't envy him. They don't covet him. As far as the text tells us, because they understand that they deserve God's wrath as well. But now they're being treated with favor at the prime minister's table from the prime minister's own food. And in order for this to happen, we need to be grateful for what we have. When we understand grace, we will be grateful for what we do have. What do your prayers generally sound like to God? Do they move right to the requests, the supplication? Here's all the things that I want from you, God. How does Psalm 100 say we should enter God's gates? Enter His gates with requests and into His courts with lots of of, uh, of needs, right? No, enter His gates with thanksgiving. Into His courts with praise. And we... Our prayers should be bathed in praise and thanksgiving to God, that we are overwhelmed to be a part of His family. And even when we are in the supplication portion, the part where we're asking for things, I mean, because God does tell us to ask for things. When we're in that portion, we still should be sprinkling it with thanksgiving that, God, You are you're so gracious to us. And this is a really profound statement, but I'm saying that sarcastically. Failure to give thanks to God shows an ungrateful heart. Okay? Really profound, isn't it? Failure to give thanks to God shows an ungrateful heart. And the reason I say that is because in the New Testament, on two occasions, unbelievers are called ungrateful. Okay? At least two occasions. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 when God gives them over to the lust of their mind, or even though they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. This is what depraved, debased, pagan people do. They don't give thanks to God. That's not how we should be. Because ungrateful hearts characterize lost people. 2 Timothy 3, 1-3, but realize this, in the last days, Difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. If you're not grateful for what God has done to you, then that attitude reflects the heart of a lost person. And you need to repent. We need to be thankful to God. When we recognize the grace that has been given to us, when we recognize what Christ did for us on the cross, that we didn't deserve His favor. We didn't earn anything that we get from God. We're simply servants. It's really the least that we can do. Our service is really the least that we can do in response to His grace. Because we deserve to be His enemy. To be estranged from Him. Jacob's brother or Joseph's brothers are starting to learn this. Starting to express this. And I don't think God is simply working or was simply working in these men. I think he also wants to use you for use for his useful service. In fact, 
If you are His child, He has planned for you to be useful in His service. That you would be equipped for every good work. And that means that that, that requires preparation. And like Joseph's brothers, you and I also need to be prepared. And the best way for us to prepare to be used in a place of service is to recognize and understand in a greater way God's grace. When we understand His grace, we will be responsible for our actions and the actions upon which we are implicated. We will be honest before God and others. We will be full of faith, recognizing that God is in it all. And we will be united as a group of believers and grateful. Not envious, not covetous of what other people are getting. Like, God, I'm doing so much for you, but what are you doing for me? You're blessing that person enormously, and what are you doing for me? That's not a proper response of a believer. And although we do that at times, we need to turn from that. We need to be united and grateful. Recognize that 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 grace is undeserved by whoever's receiving it, including myself. And when we do, we can be used of God for His service. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, humbled by Your Word once again to see ourselves in the mirror of it. And we're thankful for how you, You worked in the lives of these 11 brothers, particularly the 10 older ones who have shown signs of depravity in the past, committing terrible acts of evil. And now they seem to be turning a corner, standing up for their brother, being concerned about their father and his wishes. And I think that is due to to their understanding, their newfound understanding of your grace. Lord, we want to be used as servants of You as well. We want to be adequate. And we want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we know that our heart can hold us back when we are resentful. Sometimes we our resentment shows itself to other people. That we get mad at other people because of the way that their life is going. But really what we're doing is being resentful toward You. We want to understand Your grace more. and I, I truly believe that, that our proper understanding of life and service all comes down to our understanding of what happened at the cross. Unless we understand how wicked we were and how estranged from, us, from You we were, how we deserved Your condemnation, we will never get to a place where we understand Your grace and respond to it out of hearts of gratitude and loving service. Lord, we we have been and often are reluctant in our obedience, in our faith, but we pray that like Jacob in the end, we would finally obey. And we would finally show faith. We don't want to be like the other son who promised great things, promised to do great things for you and then never end up doing anything. We want to be those who end up doing it. So we pray that you'd help us in that.
Enliven our hearts. Strengthen our resolve. Help us to hold one another up in prayer and encouragement. Help us to be thankful for what You have given to us. You are a great and loving God. We deserve nothing less than Your condemnation. But for some reason, You've given us nothing less than justification and adoption. We praise You and thank You for Jesus Christ. In His name, Amen.